Hey guys, and welcome back to Word Books with Friends. In this episode, we'll actually be discussing Chapter 1 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Boy Who Lived. Right off the bat, we get the, an introduction to the Dursleys, who live on Privet Drive. And Chris, what do you think of those two? I've reread this book multiple times over the years, um, but usually I've sat down and I've just kind of burned through a bunch of it at once. Um, I used to try to do a like reread every year. Um, on September 1st, I would read the next book in this series. So it's been a little bit since I've actually read uh, Sorcerer's Stone. So it's kind of good to go back to it again, but it doesn't feel that alien because I've rewatched the movie so much. And so much of this first chapter is lifted straight into the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone movie by Christopher Columbus that came out in, what, 2001? We do get a little bit more information about the Dursleys themselves and just their mind-numbing, horrible normalness. Right off the bat, it kind of gives you everything you need to know about them and that you shouldn't like them. Yeah, they uh, are very boring. In fact, Dursley works at a drill company. Yep, Grunnings. That's one of those little things that I remember because it was something that you would expect to find in a Harry Potter trivia. Oh, right, right, right. Because it's never actually talked about at all in any of the, the movies, but it is mentioned a few times in the books. Grunnings, not a real company. Looked it up. Not real. Tried to figure it out. There's like a couple ice cream parlors around that are named Grunnings for some strange reason, but not a real drill company. But I like the pun that's hidden in there. He's boring. Drills oh. bore holes. It's a boring See, company. I wouldn't put that together. You're welcome. That's that's why people come to Word Books with Friends, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the kind of enlightenment you're going to get here. Uh, we're also uh, introduced to uh, Petunia and little baby Dudley. Dudley, you know, I think the pun is right there. He's dud-like. He's, he's a dud. He's Dudley. Eh, this lady seems like a petunia. It's an English tradition, and it's in, even on uh, the FTD website, you know, the flower company, flower delivering company. The secret language of flower gifting. Oh, yellow roses are for friendship, not for love. But uh, petunia, you know, uh, underhanded kind of slight because it represents either you're very comfortable with somebody or you have some underlining resentment or anger with somebody. You send petunias. Uh, it, to, to those people. And I think it's, uh, it works quite well for Petunia Dursley because she's very, you know, she has that dichotomy that you see right away with how she treats Dudley and how she treats Harry. And she has that underlining resentment and anger, uh, towards Harry and also, you know, her late sister. We also get introduced to one of, uh, I know one of Chris's favorite characters. Yeah, we get a fair amount of Minerva McGonagall in this. Uh, we also meet Albus Dumbledore, Dumbledore a little bit later. Um, so much of McGonagall's just hanging out, waiting outside the Dursley's house, watching them, absorbing what, what's what been going on. And I completely forgot, though, about all the different wizards and like magical folk coming up to Vernon, being like, oh, great, oh, 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 great day, isn't it? And so much of it just kind of going over his head. Which always really struck me as weird because we know that he's aware of Lily and James's wizard upbringing, but he seems very unaware of it at this point. So I actually did a little bit of research on it, and there is a short story available on Pottermore that tells the story of Vernon and Petunia, how they kind of met, how they came to know each other, how they met, 
Petunia's sister and brother-in-law and just what it was like at their wedding. So he's going through all of this. <laughs> it's either like just a statement about who Vernon is as a person where he just is completely oblivious to everything that doesn't have to do with him or what, because it even does mention later on, Oh, oh you think this has anything to do with, you know, your sister's folk. Clearly it does. 100%. Ooh, that denial is running deep in Vernon, though. I think he's I think he's the kind of sort that's like, oh, it's unpleasant. I don't want to even think about it. I'm going to just put it in a little box, put it in an apartment, put it away, and just completely forget about all, that whole wedding night, That whole, everything about that. Just going to, it's gone. And also, today, technically, this day that he's going to work is the day after Halloween. True. But they never even, like, really make any kind of mention of that. Like, it's not even, like... He says it to himself why things is going on. Like, oh, you know, these people are selling costumes. It's just like, they're all just weird people, like, out and about. Yeah, it must be some weird fashion sense that these young kids are doing. But wait a second, that guy's older than me, and he's wearing these stupid cloaks. We know that Harry got attacked on Halloween. It's even mentioned, I think, in Chapter 4, when Hagrid is uh, describing, like, the night that he went to Dursley's. That's why why I'm like, well, why don't they mention it here? Like, you know, oh, it's the night after Halloween. And then later on, Weatherman says, hey, you know, Bonfire Night isn't until next week. And Bonfire Night night is November 4th, a.k.a. Guy Fox Day. So that's how I'm putting the timeline together. But he also uh, is oblivious to all the owls that are flying behind him, which would be, I think that would be pretty cool to see. A bunch of owls just, or any kind of bird just flocking together in the middle of the day. I mean, an upstate New York, you're used to seeing lots of geese. They're just all terrible. They're just terrible, terrible birds. That's not cool at all to see them. Also, something else that we finally get to, and I'm reading the Pottermore version of the book. So, um, periodically throughout the books and uh, some of the chapters, there is like expandable information. I was hoping that they would have updated these because mm-hmm. chapter one doesn't have very much in it. But something that's actually happened in later printings of the book that isn't present in the Pottermore version, which you would hope would be like the definitive one, uh, was the changing of the put outer. Dumbledore's lighter that is able to put out lights uh, to the Deluminator, because that was actually something that they started changing in printed versions of the book. But strangely enough, in the digital Pottermore version, it's still in as the put outer. So I don't know if that's just because like, well, no, that's originally what it was. So that's how it's in here. But yeah, and again, there's not even anything to uh, get any further information about that right off the bat, which I feel like is kind of a lost opportunity in what I would hope to be like the definitive version of the book. Yeah, put outer. I, I actually wrote put outer in my notes twice because I forgot I wrote it once because I'm like, that is a horrible name and I'm so, I'm so happy they changed it to the Illuminator. It just, you know, this is a, this is a kid's book, the first issue this first one in the series and it gets more adult oh, yeah, i'd say up until like the first like three are you know a lot more kids books but then they get pretty dark i think it grows with the audience and i think the illuminator is is very cool but then again like you're basing these names off of latin so i'm like why not just go with it the illuminator any kid that's like reaming minerva who should be able to handle the illuminator well, maybe maybe there's just some, I don't know, feeling that, you know, it's, the kid's book has to be a little bit more on the nose. You gotta be on the nose with the Sorcerer's Stone, you know? every 
Every kid knows what a sorcerer's stone does. Not a philosopher's stone, by the way. The whole first chapter is pretty much just the setup for getting Harry into the arms of the Dursleys. It ultimately ends with Hagrid flying in on the motorcycle that belongs to Sirius Black that we'll see again later. I always forget that it's Sirius Black's bike. I, Until I read this book, I didn't realize that. And I always forget it until I re- reread it again. Have you read the short story about James and Sirius out on the town on his motorcycle? No. Oh, um, so I don't remember what charity was done for, but she did a short story and it was done in like handwritten um, like volumes that she sold for charity. Um, it is available to read online, but yeah, it's a story about James and Sirius actually when they were part of uh, the Order of the Phoenix fighting Death Eaters and running into Muggle police on his motorcycle. It's actually like a pretty fun read. I think it's only like five pages. There's not much to it. Again, adding a little bit more flavor to the world. Did want to do a couple name checks here since we mentioned these characters. We got another. I, I think it's a pun. Hagrid. Looking haggard. You know, it's. I think that's where they're going with that. Elvis is Latin, meaning bright or white. And then Minerva, of course, is a uh, is the Latin goddess of wisdom and war. Uh, also, I mean, if we're talking about name checks, we also get mention of um, Daedalus Diggle. Ooh, I missed that one. He's one of the people being stupid, right? Oh, yeah. Um, it's right when Dumbledore comes to uh, Fort Privet Drive. They assume it's one of him because people are shooting off like fireworks and Nerva says like, oh, it's probably Daedalus Diggle, which the time is just like, oh, it's a weird, funny name. But again, later on in the books, we do know that Daedalus is the father of Cedric Diggory. Another name check is, of course, we get both Minerva and Albus talking about uh, he who shall not be named. And he's like, come on, you know, just say it. His name's Voldemort. Uh, and that can tra- roughly translate to wings or flight of death. You know, Mort being death, vol, uh, flight or wings, and day of. I think, you know, there's some some cool, like, information within even in these names. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention to you, Chris, is or ask you, just because we're friends talking about the book, the Minerva, you know, even when she's in cat form, has like her glasses, her square glasses around her eyes, you know, in the markings. If you were an Animagus and could turn into a creature, is there any kind of distinctive mark or trait that you think your animal would uh, betray? Um, good question, actually. And since I'm freakishly tall, I think whatever animal I turned into would just be like a lankier version of that. Like if I turned into a dog, it would probably be something like a great day, you know, just some, or maybe, maybe a greyhound. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could see you as a greyhound. Um, just because I got these really long limbs. I, I feel like that would transfer over. You, uh, you know, I got the one scar that I've had forever on my face, you know, just near my nose. It's a very tiny scar, but I think that would probably translate uh, hopefully nothing on too ratty of a creature, but, you know, knowing my luck, I'd probably be some sort of mouse or rat. I would hope for fox, but, I, you know, I'm not sure of the rules of Animagi. I don't know if you get to choose or not. Yeah, you turn into into what you want. Oh, then, yeah, I'd definitely be a fox, and I'd probably have a pretty, a, a, you know, small scar on my stout snout. And also probably a little bit of a buck tooth kind of look. <laughs> An overbite, but foxes have overbites, so that works. 
And you know what else works? The second chapter, which we'll be getting to next. <laughs>